0: Part 2 of Gary Owen. Welcome to another episode of Karras on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karras. Karras on Crime explores criminal justice issues and cases in the news. Follow me on Twitter, at Beth Karras and at Karras on Crime, and on Facebook. The page is my name, Beth Karras. This is the first of three interviews related to a killing in Ohio in 2014. On New Year's Eve 2014, shortly after 11 p.m., Colleen McKernan fatally shot her husband, Rob. They had been married only eight months. After a whirlwind courtship, they met in the fall of 2013 and married the following April. Colleen said she was defending herself from an abusive husband that night. This wasn't the first time that she was on the receiving end of his rage, especially when he was under the influence of alcohol. That night, they had attended a party, but left around 11 p.m. They headed to their home in Massillon, Ohio, just west of Canton, the county seat. Had this fight not occurred, they may have celebrated the new year at midnight at their neighbors. But they did fight. Colleen grabbed her gun, she says, to protect herself as she tried to leave the house. Rob, she says, came toward her in the narrow hall. She warned him, then fired. Ten times. And then she called nine one one.
1: Nine one one, you please fire, medical? Listen to me. I'm really drunk, oh. and I fucking, my husband put his hands on me again. Where are you? I, I fucking, I fucking killed him. Oh my God. I Where are you? Where are you, ma'am? 1753, Oldfield Street. Okay. one seven. Okay. Stand the line. Ma'am, let me get you on police. Hold on one second. I'm doing, I'm doing fucking CPR. Please. please. Let me get you on Hold on one second. Ma'am? Yeah. Ma'am, is he breathing? He's not. I tried doing CPR, but he's dead. Okay. Where is the gun, ma'am? No. What do you mean? I'm not gonna, up? I'm not gonna hurt anybody when they saw me here. He's not, I don't even know where it is. He fucking. He, where did this happen at? Where you're at? In the room that you're at, or in another room? He's in the house. Okay. I tried, I tried doing CPR, and there's fucking blood coming out of his mouth. It's over. He's fucking dead. All right. What is his name, ma'am? Robert McKernan. Um, I, can't, I can't understand you, hon. Can you try that one more time? What is his name? Robert McKernan. What is your name? Colleen McKernan.
0: At the end of part one, Gary Owen just started to describe the night Colleen killed Rob. So
2: I answer the phone, and it's Sergeant Smith. And the call drops. I'm like, what the heck? And I got, uh, I, we got our uh, daughter, the, the Italian daughter, in the back seat. Her name's Claudia, and, and her little f- boyfriend from Finland. His name is Casper. And we're driving, uh, uh, and I call him back, and uh, and he tells me that I said, What happened? What happened? He says, Well, sir, uh, uh, Colleen shot Rob, and she's in custody. I said, What? what is your name? What is your badge number? And you know, I got some information. I said, I have to call you back because the connection was too bad. And because I don't want to talk about it in front of the kids. So we get home and uh, sit down and I call him back. And it's no joke. I'm thinking we might get home and maybe Colleen and Rob would be in our driveway laughing at us and making fun. So we were obviously shocked. It was an incredibly horrific phone call. And, uh, and then I can't remember now if it was that night or the next morning, we got a call from Colleen from the jail. And, uh, and, uh, she was concerned about her dogs. She had two black labs. They were just puppies. Didn't seem like the police, you know, the police didn't seem like they could care. They didn't care less. You know, they were there to process a crime scene. They don't care about a couple dogs. And she had a cat, Penelope. So Scarlett Gray and Penelope, she's concerned about them. So that's yeah, and she of course knew that Rob was dead, and she said she was sorry, but she, she didn't have a choice, and that's been her story from from the beginning.
0: Was she emotional when she was talking to uh, you?
2: Yeah, it was terrible. I had to tell her to shut up, <laughs> and I said, Colleen, I can't understand you. And then of course every thirty seconds, the the you know, there's like a robo thing that comes yeah,
0: over it's
2: being recorded and anything you say can be used against you and, you know, that type of thing. So it was very difficult to hear and understand, but she was um, very upset and, uh, uh, and wanted to know what was going to happen next. I said, I don't know. I mean, we've never dealt with this before. You know, uh, besides speeding tickets, our family is not involved in the criminal justice system unlike other families.
0: At any point on or off the phone, you know, in person, did she tell you what happened?
2: Yes. Um, we, once we bailed her out, this is uh, because it happened over a uh, holiday weekend, and I believe this year, the January 1st, the holiday was on a Monday, so we, court was on Tuesday. I could have this all wrong, but irregardless, um, I picked her up at the Stark County Jail. Jan and I went over there, uh, we bailed her out, and there she was, walking out the jail like, a free bird, you know, with what? no no care in the world. You know, we didn't even have to go in and sign her out. She's just walking just down the sidewalk.
0: Well, what was she charged with initially? Murder. Hmm.
2: She charged with murder. They gave her a hundred thousand dollar bond, and I'm sure, in your experience, you would say that that's incredibly, almost ludicrously low. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, right, but they, they might it. have
0: recognized that there was a there's a story here. So
2: yeah, yeah, they reckoned. And the judge probably recognized she was overcharged from the, from the minute she was charged, which was 45 minutes after uh, um, uh, Rob was pronounced dead. I mean, she was charged with murder, not manslaughter. They, you know, didn't they know that this man who had been in their courtroom and these probably the same police officers that showed up at this house had arrested Rob and other members of his family multiple times. It wasn't like their name wasn't known. Um, but
0: okay, anyway, well now, I, you're telling, now you're talking about stuff the listeners don't know about, so um, let's talk about that. Well, you've, you've talked about Rob's father going to right. prison for three, four years for domestic violence, assault, uh, but what about Rob? What did you learn Rob, afterwards?
2: Yeah, what we learned afterwards, and what we knew that Colleen knew some of this uh, prior to, or after marrying him, or prior to marrying him, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a little unclear of which, but Rob had three arrests for domestic violence. He was charged with domestic violence by at least two women, okay, one of them being Bentley's mom, that Jessica, another one being a lady named Sarah who lives up in North Dakota. Um, and each time those charges, um, his initial charge was uh, pled down to disorderly conduct or, what, or reckless, whatever they, they get, char- they get uh, reduced to. And of course, we all say, you know, if, if just one time one of those had stuck, our daughter wouldn't have been in this situation. But, um, hindsight. But, uh, yeah, see, uh, not only did we find out about the arrest, we actually heard the 911 calls. Uh, we heard two of them um, from Jessica and one from Jessica's girlfriend. And uh, they were awful. I mean, she can say all she wants that he was a great dad and, you know, he was a nice man and everything else. But on those two days, he
0: wasn't. All right, so back to talking to Colleen. Um, she's, she's out now on, well, it's a $100,000 bond, but you put up 10%, right? Correct. So she's out, pending right. trial.
2: And I get her in the car, and, and uh, I say, get your head down. I thought the media was going to be there, or somebody's going you know, or one of his family, or somebody's going to be there wanting to kill her or something. I was, we were concerned, and, uh, and uh, we were in high alert mode, and uh, we drove and went to a parking lot. And I said, "All right, Colleen, spill it. I want to hear what happened. Because I'm not a dad who just takes, who just thinks her kids are perfect and do nothing wrong. This has to pass my smell test. And uh, and I need to know what happened. I just, I have a hundred thousand dollars riding here. Because what if she screws up and and breaks her bond and breaks her house arrest? You know, we're out a hundred thousand dollars. So I want to know what's going on. I want to know what happened. And she." She lays the story out, and if you watch the trials and you watch her testimony, what she told me in the car, two days after the event, is exactly what she says in the trial. I mean, it's her story has has been consistent, believable, and honest from day one. That he, she was out of mind, absolutely terrified. And he, she was put in the position, she had no choice. All she wanted to do was leave her house. She had, new, she had no duty to, uh, to retreat because of castle law, but she just wanted to get out of there, and he would not let her go. He was, he was intoxicated. She thought he was stoned, and he was pissed off because she ruined his night and embarrassed him in front of her friend, his friends. He was very, very upset, very angry, very drunk, and very violent.
0: I know that just before she shot him, she was in the bedroom. She had her gun. He went. He left the bedroom, and he went into the kitchen. She thought right. maybe. I mean, at one point, she thought she she said that she thought maybe he was going to get a knife. And then she tells she tells a doctor who's evaluating her. Well, I'm not going to say he was. He was going for a weapon, but, you know, who knows? It might have been on her mind. But did he have anything in his hands when they confronted each other in the hall where she shot him?
2: Um, there's nothing confirmed in his hand, no.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Um, but what, what, what is interesting to know is that he was inside of 30 inches. His, uh, and, you know, when I buy a shirt it's a 34-inch sleeve, I mean, we're talking he was close with his arms outstretched to being close to her neck, which is where he goes that's his modus. that's what he goes for, is the neck. And she was out of her mind scared. He had done it before, and she did not think she was going to survive. He's, six foot, he's over six foot tall, about 240. She's five foot five and 130 pounds. All he had to do was get a hold of her, and she was done for.
0: Okay, so that was his M.O. was to go to smother or go for the neck. Right. Hmm. Um, and then she fired, and she just kept firing ten times.
2: She did not know she fired ten times. She, doesn't, she says she doesn't, and she told us this in the car, she told everybody from day one that she does not remember um, uh, she remembers telling him to back up. She remembers raising the gun. She remembers there being a great amount of noise, and then all of a sudden, it was there was no more noise, and uh, and then Rob was down, and that's when she threw the gun, ran over to him, started doing CPR,
0: and she called nine one one. Yes. Okay. All right. So. Um, you say she's been consistent from that day, the day you bailed her out.
2: She has. And I asked her tough questions. Know. she At that point, when I talked to her the very first time, we didn't know that there were 10 shots. We didn't know that uh, she hadn't missed. Um, we didn't know that all 10 bullets were in his body. We didn't know... Uh, you know, the condition of the house. We, You know, there's there things we didn't know. But as things played out and as evidence was gathered, her story remained plausible and believable and, and, and real.
0: Well, she went to trial twice. And out of um, 24 jurors, 12 and 12, how many jurors believed her?
2: The first trial, it was uh, seven to five uh, for conviction, so five five people, um, and and there were people on that jury um, that said that they wouldn't have found her guilty of anything, okay? The second trial, it was six to six on the morning that they decided the jury for a woman, who I've never talked to, and this is just the information I received from Colleen's attorney, is that on 6-6, six to six, when they decided that there was absolutely no way that they could come to a unanimous decision and that there was nothing that they could do, um, she filled out a piece of paper for the judge, and she marked the wrong box. She marked something about, yeah, I think if we had more time, we might, we might be able to change things. Instead of saying there's nothing we can do to change things. So they sent back back to the judge. the judge called us all back in and, and made them go out for another and they were out for another two or three hours. At this time, we're across the street at Laura's uh, the attorney's office, Laura and Max, and we have a full vision. It's you know uh, the end of August, hot outside. We're up in the air-conditioned lawyer's office, watching out on the court on the courtyard, and seeing jurors, Sitting at a picnic table, two jurors, two women bawling. The one had her head in her hands and she's just crying. And it was, and, you know, we're just trying to figure out what's going on. And as it turned out, what we found out is that they went back in and three of the not guilties flipped to guilty. But there were three that remained steadfast and would not be peer pressured and bullied. And defining her uh, guilty.
0: So there were six, and then at the 11th hour, you know, there were three voting not guilty. So a minimum of eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, if you counted those three who had flipped. If, if she had checked, the, the four person had checked the right box, you know, there would it would have been a six-six foot. Six, right, right. Um, okay, so that's very, what we call a very healthy split. It's not like an 11-to-1 or 10-to-2, you know, especially the 7-to-5. Um, well, six six also, but it ended up being nine three uh, and and I guess that's why the um, the prosecution agreed to a plea deal with her
2: Yeah, and uh, well, they first decided to play with us and uh, and and jerk us around and and, uh, and put Colleen through another six months of hell. I mean we have a, a mistrial in August, and we don't even have any inkling of anything that's going on for months, months, you know, and this whole time she's paying $450 a month for house arrest. She can't work. She can't do anything. Okay. And uh, um, all she can do is uh, go to doctor's appointments and meet with her attorney once a week. That's it.
0: And she had an ankle bracelet on? She did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So the deal she got, a plea to manslaughter for seven years was pretty good, yep. given that the stakes were life in prison, if she got convicted of murder.
2: Right. Yeah, The um, it was an incredibly difficult decision for, for everyone, but mostly for Colleen, because it's her life. And uh, um, they were adding, and they could have done this, and we requested it at the first trial. They could have had manslaughter on the table at the first trial.
0: It's time for a break. You're listening to Karis on Crime. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karis. And today I'm talking to Gary Owen, the father of Colleen McKernan. Colleen recently took a plea to manslaughter and is serving a seven-year sentence but hopes to be out in half that time for the New Year's Eve 2014 killing of her husband, Rob. She had been married to him for only eight months. All right, so the deal she got, a plea to manslaughter for seven years, is pretty good given that the stakes were life. In prison, if she got convicted of murder,
2: right? Yeah, the um, it was an incredibly difficult decision for for everyone, but mostly for Colleen because it's her life, and uh, um, they were adding, and they could have done this, and we requested it at the first trial. They could have had manslaughter on the table at the first trial. They could have had it on the trial for the, at on the table for the second trial, but out of the arrogance of the prosecutor. They wanted to go for the whole enchilada. Well, that was a big mistake. So but what do they care it's not It's not coming out of their pocket. I understand it's coming out of the taxpayers' pockets and their taxpayers, but it doesn't affect them like it affected us, well, really. I mean, I mean, they just stuck it to us as much as they could. I,
0: had, said, I had read, and you had told me when we talked um, some days ago, that Colleen asked to have her blood alcohol content uh, Te- a test given to determine, you know, how, how much alcohol she had drunk. Because she kept saying, I'm drunk, I'm drunk, you know, I've been drinking. He yeah. had been drinking, she had been drinking. It seems like, you know, if she had been intoxicated, that would have justified um, giving the jury manslaughter to consider. Did uh, they ever do that, though?
2: Not only didn't they do it, but she was in what they called the BAC room. And they didn't, it was right there. Now, I do BACs all the time on people. It takes... Eight seconds? You know, it's just you blow into a machine. It takes, uh, you know, and you get the results in, 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 in under 20 seconds. And, and you would know exactly. It, do, it doesn't cost anything. It's not some huge uh, ordeal to go through. It would have been quick and easy. We would have seen. Okay? I don't know. Uh, um, it was New Year's Eve. People drank. I think the detective was drinking that night. They had arrived on the scene. He couldn't even drive himself. He had asked somebody pick him up. He said he was sick. But, you know, I don't
0: know. Well, I'd like to hear what the police or prosecution has to say about that, why BAC wasn't taken for her. Obviously, the toxicology report for Rob was taken, and he also was intoxicated. But he had uh, a negative showing of any other drugs in his system, except the only other stimulant was caffeine.
2: Right. Well, that's because she caught him before he snorted the cocaine, it's pretty obvious. Uh, I mean, I think everybody agrees with that, that he was going to, but she didn't know that she had stopped him. So in her frame of mind on that night, she has a drunk man who's pissed off at her for embarrassing him, and she thinks he's under the influence of some mysterious white powder. And she doesn't, She didn't know that he was doing this stuff.
0: Right. She walked in on him as he was about to do it, apparently. Right. right. And right. she didn't let him smoke cigarettes in the house. Understandable, a lot of people don't uh, allow cigarette smoking in, 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 in their home because it lingers and gets in the furniture mm-hmm. and the draperies and all. Um, but he, he told people, because I read some witness statements in a report, mm-hmm. you know, he, he told people that like she was, the, she was rough on him.
2: Yeah, um, I didn't even know he smoked. Um, it, it really kind of surprises me um, uh, I mean, you're telling me that now uh, isn't surprised. I mean, I knew it, but uh, when I found out uh, the first time that he was smoking cigarettes, I was actually pretty surprised. He didn't seem like the type. But uh, um, Colleen expects a lot out of people, and she doesn't have a, a problem holding somebody accountable uh, to what they say that they're mm-hmm. going to do.
0: So you are at both of the trials, correct? Everyday. Did the jurors in either trial know about Rob's prior domestic violence arrests or any incidents with Colleen?
2: Um, They knew nothing about his past incidents. Nothing. Uh, All that was deemed inadmissible and that uh, uh, anything that he had done in the years prior had nothing, had no bearing whatsoever on December 31st, 2014, as ludicrous as it sounds to you, Beth, and all your listeners. Um, as far as, um, um, well, yeah, although Colleen does testify to it, she did give her testimony. Um, and then the other part of the question is they, they did not hear Colleen's 911 call that she made in November, a month before um, Rob forced her to kill him. <laughs> Um, and uh, and I, I still don't understand to this day why uh, the judge wouldn't allow that to be listened to. You can clearly hear Rob in the background screaming at her, telling her to get the F out of my car. She had dropped the phone. You could tell that it was uh, definitely a volatile situation. And then you heard her talking calmly to the 911 operator. And the 911 operator got very exasperated with Colleen because she said, Ma'am, if you're not willing to press charges, we can't keep the man out of his own home. And uh, um, so Colleen did not want to press charges because if she did, Rob would not be able to see his son, and it would just turn into a bigger thing. And uh, she was worried about that. Um, But she testified
0: uh, about this, right? Yeah. And did she testify about the time that um, she had a... She had taken his credit card, the credit cards, at, at, and gone home and left him at the bar. And then a friend drove him back. And I don't know, he came at her and found the cards. And then when he came home, he, she woke up, she was being smothered. And then the next thing she knew, she was in the shower.
2: Yeah, yeah. Did, did she talk was, about that? She did talk about that. Um, but then the prosecution effectively says there's no evidence of that. And basically, you know, says she's making it up and it's not true.
0: There's no corroboration of it. It's just her word. Mm-hmm.
2: It's just her word. Um, and
0: uh, Right. Um, it does become one person's right.
2: word. She called 911. Yeah. And so we have that. We have the text messages. that we're, Rob, they, they actually were able to hear, I'm sorry I put my hands on you. I'm a piece of shit. Uh, somebody should kick the shit out of me. That's, that's That's bullshit. I shouldn't have done that. So, I mean it's pretty obvious that he was physical with her and that um, from a dad's standpoint that uh, he had uh, uh, done things. But, you know, when when you get the public in there and you get a jury of your peers and you don't have, like, uh, you're not bleeding and you don't have a broken tooth and you don't have a broken bones or a bloody uh, bloody nose or a black eye, you know. You know
0: and that's oh, why the, the split... That's, Once on,
2: on New Year's Eve, it would have been all over. Right. That would have been that
0: would have been it. That's why the split. She didn't have enough corroboration, and she shot him ten times. There you go. I mean, that's why okay. some people I, just I, couldn't get over it, and but others were like, you know what? It rings true to me, and I, I I or there's reasonable doubt. I don't know what the truth is, and I'm not sending her to prison for life um, until I, there's more evidence. Yeah. Right. yeah.
2: Exactly, and uh, the ten shots are hard for everybody, including us. I mean, we uh, until we heard about um, uh, different reasons why uh, ten shots and why her training and how she went at this uh, dissociative state and 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 so on, and how fast it is. I mean, it's three under three and a half seconds.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that clip was emptied. Uh,
0: it must have spun his body because six are in the front, like his. Head and then torso, and one goes through his arm, but there are four in the back, you know, the left back and the right buttocks. So uh, the shots must have spun his body.
2: That's uh, that's how we see it, because we hired people uh, and got some really good coroners who looked at this and uh, gave their medical opinion on how it happened. Um, And the state had the same opportunity to do that. Uh, but they knew they they wanted to grandstand and put on this big uh, horse and pony show, where uh, they're going to make it sound like Colleen, uh, you know, executed him. And uh, uh, but they couldn't back that up with scientific evidence, so they just waited the closing arguments and put on a uh, put on a little show. And it must have been effective because we couldn't get her uh, uh, exonerated.
0: So, what is the the takeaway from this for other women who find themselves in situations like this? What what what's your advice?
2: Where there's smoke, there's fire, man. I mean, you know, if you got a guy, uh, I mean, I, I I believe in grace. I re- I believe in redemption. I believe that people can change. Uh, but you can you can pretty much believe that the next three my my younger three daughters, when they're choosing uh the person they want to spend their life with, we're going to do a little bit more of a background check and we're going to be asking the, you know a few more tough questions and uh um and when people are arrested and people are violent uh have a propensity uh for really treating women really poorly and uh it wasn't like he got arrested for you know brawls in the street with guys he this is a guy who picked on and bullied women um he, uh, he had, I, I don't know if he had, I can't remember now if he had a DWI. I know his mom did and, and his, uh, his father and, you know, his, his mom's boyfriend and his own sister was, in, uh, was charged with domestic violence. And there's just a huge history of all kinds of substance abuse and, and violent-type behaviors in that family. and uh, You know, I had forgotten
0: you know, to ask you, Gary, also, that um, not long before she met him, before Colleen met Rob, he had attempted suicide.
2: Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I had almost forgotten. That's believable, uh, un- unbelievable as it seems. Yes, I I don't remember the exact month. Um, maybe August, uh, uh, July or August. Um, and I think it was his brother, but it was a family member found him in the garage with his car running, window down, hose to the exhaust pipe, garage door down, and uh, um, and. He was taken involuntarily to a, you know, a psych unit at a local psychiatric hospital, and I think it's called Heartland Behavioral Health. And uh, and he was there for two three days. Um, it was definitely a serious attempt, and I don't I don't know why, uh, but I know that uh, you know I I saw the the report. He was diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder and uh, uh, major depression. Um, And he was uh, given medication to take. He was advised to stay off alcohol and advised to start counseling.
0: Did Colleen know this?
2: Colleen did not know this. But guess what he did? He went out and got drunk, went out and beat another woman, and never went to counseling, never took his meds. You know. (laughs) Um, And his family knew about it, and they chose not to tell anybody. They chose not to... uh, uh, they, they didn't like say, Hey Rob, you should really tell Colleen, you know, that you had this problem a month before you met her or, uh, or they should have, his mom's a registered nurse, retired. You don't think maybe she would have said you need to take that medication and stop drinking and go to counseling. And maybe she did those, maybe she said those things and he didn't do it. But what I do know is that they did for Christmas that year, they gave them a box of bullets. They bought them bullets for the gun, Colleen's gun. Mm. Um, So a man was close to death, and four months later, his family thinks it's a smart idea to buy him bullets for a handgun that they own, And not any bullets, but critical defense bullets. And as it turns out, they're the the, the bullets that Colleen used to defend herself and were found in his body.
0: And... Rob had been in the Air Force, not with Colleen, but he also had been discharged from the Air Force. So he's trained in guns.
2: Um, he was in the Air Force. He worked on uh, um, uh, uh, nuclear weapons. He was stationed in North Dakota and never went overseas. Um, but I would imagine everybody is trained on firearms of some sort. They probably, everybody in basic training has to learn to shoot a gun. Right. Um, so, uh, but as far as he wasn't, you know, Military security forces, or anything like right, that.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, but he knew how to handle a gun. So, but what you just told us about borderline personality disorder, major depressive disorder, me- medication—did the jury know that?
2: No, no, that was absolutely uh, uh, squashed.
0: Okay. Very interesting. I, I plan to sp- to speak to others um, involved in this case. So we'll start rounding out the picture, but you've certainly laid a good foundation for who Colleen is and uh, who Rob was, at least in the limited time you knew him and was around him, and Colleen's side, you know, what Colleen says happened. Now, um, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, how is she doing now?
2: Well, we got two letters from her today. Um, I got an email from her uh, this morning. Uh, we got a letter last week, and we talked to her every Sunday. She talked to her grandma Friday. She's in good spirits. Um, she said <laughs> she is like, uh, what is it? They, they're calling her Mandy Moore from A Walk to Remember. They're, that's what they call her. They they give her that nickname uh, because she's so sweet and innocent compared to everybody else. And, uh, um, and uh, she's... She's she's holding up very well. She's, she's looking forward to some of the programs that they have. She's thinking she wants to become a certified yoga instructor. Colleen's very fit, very fit-minded. She's a uh, vegan. Uh, she can't really live a vegan lifestyle in, in prison, uh, but uh, she can be vegetarian. And uh, and it's a struggle, but uh, to get the amount of calories you need. But she's um, she's doing well. She could, she said she cut six inches off her hair. And it's so funny because I had suggested that she get a haircut before she was going to prison. And I said, why don't we go and get your hair cut, you know. Goes, why would I do that? I said, because you don't want people pulling your hair. That's, you know, yeah, <laughs> I've right. never been in prison, but it just made sense to me as a as a psychiatric nurse and uh, um, somebody that, that Which works Which is what there.
0: you are. You're a psychiatric nurse.
2: Well, that's my second job. My first job is I'm a government analyst uh, for Social Security, but... Um, I worked there last night you know, in a psyche, psychiatric unit. I'm very familiar with psychiatric patients. And uh, um, I'm not saying that prison is full of psychiatric patients, but there's a good amount of them, I imagine. No
0: kidding. I mean, heck, fact, I think our prisons are full of people with uh, disorders, mental illnesses. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she expects or hopes to be out in half the time, in about three and a half years, right?
2: Right. Uh, the judge made it very clear in her... Uh, uh, On the record that uh, she will sign judicial release and for a a release in three and a half years and that we can apply for that uh, a month ahead of time so that exactly on september 23rd 2020 i will come down and pick up my daughter
0: and she will be 32 years old at that time that's correct okay so and i assume you're going to be visiting her periodically right
2: yeah, it's a you know, it's a it's a process to get through all the paperwork and all and uh becoming an approved visitor and, and they have to go through a take there, but yeah, we'll definitely be going. It's about a five and a half hour drive from here. All right. Turns out uh we paid our lawyer with Southwest uh visa card, so we have three southwest miles for the whole year. <laughs> so we could actually fly to Columbus if we wanted to instead of driving.
0: Sure. All right, so um I'll be back in touch if I have more questions, but thank you so much for giving me so much of your time today, and I'll be um, in touch with more folks, hopefully uh, speaking to a juror or two and uh, one or two of Colleen's lawyers as well.
2: All right, that's great, and I appreciate uh, giving us an opportunity to talk about Colleen and, and uh, the situation that she was put into, and she did, She wishes Rob wasn't that. She also wishes he had not put her in a position that uh, forced her... They haven't become dead. So, well,
0: that's you know. good to hear. Did she say that when she took the plea, that she was sorry?
2: Um, there's, There's no discussion. She was advised not to say anything.
0: I see. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Gary Owen, and I want to thank all of you out there for listening today to this latest episode of Caris on Crime. As always, you know, I welcome your feedback, so feel free to post questions or ideas on carisoncrime.com if you're a member, or on my Twitter handles. Uh, my Twitter is uh, at Beth Caris or at Caris on Crime. You can also find me on Facebook on the page with my name, Beth Caris. Until the next time, be well.